1: head over to my website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. You'll also be able to find the various services that we provide at IVF Australia. So this time we're going to carry on about sperm. Maybe we carry on too much, but it's very popular at the moment in the media and politicians are getting stirred up about male factor, fertility. Now almost as much as the female, whereas in the past we'd sort of been left with the assumption that all fertility was related to women. But in fact probably 40 to 50% of infertility is now being found to be about the man. We talked about the various causes of uh, reduced sperm counts in the previous uh, episode. Now let's talk about what we might be able to do to help. i probably start off by saying In most cases we can do nothing, which is very disturbing for the men who come along with low sperm counts and expect something to be able to be done. It's been exaggerated by Dr. Google and usually Dr. Google is driven by the commerciality of selling unproven, potentially dangerous medications to men via the internet in the hope of improving their sperm counts. Men are very susceptible to these claims of improvement because their pride has been badly damaged by being told that they might be the cause of the infertility. So let's talk about the things we can do. I mentioned in the early episode, there's a, a relatively uncommon cause of infertility, which is that the pituitary gland is not producing the hormones in the levels that are sufficient to drive the production line in the testicle we can substitute those hormones by injection. And in a small group of men, perhaps even with just tablets, we can push the FSH level to a point where it switches on or enhances sperm production. Problems with either of these treatments, either using FSH or HCG injections or clomiphene, is that because the production line from immature cell to a mature sperm takes 90 days. We don't know whether it makes any difference in under three months, which again can be very frustrating for these men. But where the testicle is, has been quiet because it hasn't been stimulated, there is a very high chance that sperm production can be switched on. In men where this is due to stress, success rates are reasonably good in men where the pituitary gland is not working because it was not formed properly in the baby's life, in the growth in the womb. Again, it's very successful because the testicles are normal. And that is really the only group that we actually can say we can do any real good for. I suppose the other group are those with blocked vas deferens due to infection where there have been successes with dividing the, t- the vas deferens where the block is and joining the other two ends, it's a bit like a bit of plumbing, cut out the block and join the two ends together, and that you know, can be successful. That's similarly, if a man's had a vasectomy, it is uh, possible to join the two ends together. However, in both those situations, what has been found that is that when there's been a blockade, of the sperm and it's built up. Antibodies start to form which combine to the sperm and stop them from swimming. So success rates in terms of pregnancy are substantially lower than the success of getting the plumbing right and actually getting sperm out. So there is always, there is an ongoing debate as to whether reversal of vasectomy or repairing block tubes with due to infection is really worth the effort. Since IVF and ICSI solve the problem. In relation to all the other causes that I've mentioned, uh, genetic abnormalities with white chromosome deletions, XXY, occasionally by doing a micro dissection, in other words, putting the man to sleep and, and cutting the testicle open and using a microscope to find small pockets of sperm, we can get pregnancies. Not sufficient sperm to allow natural conception, not sufficient sperm to do insemination, but sufficient sperm to do IVF and ICSI. So there is some hope in for those guys, but it's still not great. For those men with low sperm counts, with whom we can't change the dynamics of the production line in the testicle, we can do IVF and ICSI. ICSI is the term for sperm injection. There where the scientist selects out the best looking sperm and injects one into each egg. And pregnancy rates and live birth rates in that scenario are the same as if a man's got a normal sperm count. So pregnancy is very possible even if there are only a very few number of sperm. And that's become the answer for most men with reduced sperm counts, IVF with ICSI. Looking forward into the future, I mentioned the possibility in another episode that some scientists in the US have actually built sperm from cells that were were never in the testicle, at least in mice, and therefore produced a pregnancy. That's pretty exciting stuff and may hold things for the future. The other issues around male infertility relate to the DNA fragmentation that can occur in the sperm head, probably due to environmental issues. When the testicle is overheated, for instance uh, men who drive trucks over long distances or work in blast furnaces, the DNA fragmentation rates are higher. There are probably many other environmental factors that may alter the DNA fragmentation, but if it occurs, while you can still get fertilization with those sperm, the pregnancy rates are lower and the miscarriage rates are higher. It appears you can reverse that situation with antioxidants. And there are products on the market which have some degree of proof that they make a difference, that the antioxidants can cause improvement in the DNA fragmentation. There's a product called Menavit, which has been sold very heavily for this purpose, although it's actually being sold as treatment of male infertility, but really it only helps that small group of patients with DNA fragmentation. Vitamin C, vitamin E, antioxidants, as is red wine, things that promote breakdown, the degradation, include smoking, marijuana, and as I said before, heat. And we may be able to improve things by changing those lifestyle issues. So DNA fragmentation should be assessed and it, should be, it is possible to treat it relatively straightforwardly. So male infertility is a complex area and treatment of it is relatively complicated. Unfortunately, the majority of gynaecologists who see a couple are trained to look after the female side of things. They're not trained to be an expert in male fertility and often they'll just say have ICSI and that's not necessarily the answer. We can do good for many of the men. We can do, improve the sperm counts. So when you have a male fertility problem, It's important to see a gynaecologist who has reproductive medicine subspecialty because they have been trained in male infertility, unlike their generalist colleagues. So ask them what their background in male infertility is. My second suggestion is not to see a urologist. Now a urologist is trained to take out prostates, and very few of them have any real expertise in male infertility. They like tying off varicose veins, but the evidence that it makes any difference is marginal. And that may delay you getting pregnant. So see an expert if your husband has or your partner has male infertility. And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website www. TheIVFJourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu.
0: Thank you for listening to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF Journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on one 800 483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au.